2: Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
1: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts.
3: From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, a former Atlanta City Council member is joining a crowded field of Democratic candidates for lieutenant governor, Find out who and why in just a moment. Also, the CDC Foundation is encouraging COVID-19 vaccinations by working with some of Atlanta's arts and cultural organizations. I'll speak with foundation's president and CEO, Dr. Judy Monroe, about the effort. Plus, it's called Bloom Season, and it's a new resource from Atlanta-based email marketing company MailChimp, and it hopes to support entrepreneurs of color. Now, all that's just ahead, but we begin, of course, with the major global happening, and that is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Meanwhile, here, members of Atlanta's Ukrainian community are speaking out against Russia's invasion of their home country, Tatiana Lindy is an immigration lawyer in Atlanta who moved from Ukraine in 2012. She spoke with Lisa Ram on today's Morning Edition and says the U.S. and other Western powers need to impose economic consequences on Russia for its actions.
1: I would obviously speak against any violent action because more, more, more suffering brings just more suffering. But there has to be, uh, again, I think economic consequences, right? Cutting off Russia from economic, uh, from world economy. You cannot live in the isolated world, okay? The world doesn't work that way anymore. It's 21st century. All the economies are connected. Until the people in power in Russia really lose access to their money, they would not stop this. Until Mm. they lose access to their assets, they will not stop it.
3: Members of the Facebook group Ukrainian Community of Atlanta say they'll hold a rally this Saturday in Atlanta to protest a Russian invasion. Also, Governor Brian Kemp is speaking out against Russia's invasion of Ukraine. From his Twitter account, Governor Kemp cited, quote, the the move violates Ukraine's sovereignty and called it callous and indefensible. Kemp also said he's mindful of what this could mean for members of the military from Georgia. Georgia National Guard troops were deployed to Europe last week to assist the U.S. Air Force. Multiple outlets report the 165th Airlift Wing was deployed last week from Savannah to support U.S. Air Force's Europe with additional aircraft and air personnel. And as you also just heard on NPR and other news, more than 80 Georgia doctors are signing an open letter. This is in regard to opposing a bill that would prohibit abortion pills from being sent by mail. State Republicans are championing the measure. Dr. Diddy St. Louis says the ban would hurt Georgia's most vulnerable
1: especially those low-income residents and people of color as well as women living in rural areas. Studies have shown that the majority of women who access uh, abortion care, 75 percent of those are low-income women or poor women.
3: The doctors say the bill creates a cruel barrier to proper care for women in Georgia, a state with one of the highest maternal mortality rates in the nation. Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens says the federal government now supports the immediate relocation of tenants living at Forest Cove apartments. Now, there are about 200 families left at the Southeast Atlanta complex, many in harmful conditions. Stephanie Stokes has
4: the latest. For years, residents have felt stuck at Forest Cove because their rent is federally subsidized. They couldn't afford market rent. They had to wait on a long-promised renovation plan. But Mayor Dickens says he spoke to the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Marsha Fudge, and now she's agreed to let tenants take their rental assistance elsewhere.
2: What she's going to do is provide temporary vouchers for all of those residents to be relocated. We'll figure out the plan for a redevelopment at Forest Cove, and then those residents will have the opportunity to come back.
4: The city says it's already located 170 units for tenants. There's still no date, though, for when they would move. Stephanie Stokes, WABE News.
3: And Stephanie has spent more than a year following the stories of Forest Cove and its residents. You can find that at wabe.org slash As mentioned, another candidate is entering a crowded field of candidates in Georgia's lieutenant governor's race. It's a familiar name, the ring, to become the next lieutenant governor of Georgia. Former Atlanta City Councilmember Kwanzaa Hall has formally filed to run for that office. And as mentioned, it's a crowded field. The primaries take place May 24th, and of course, the general election will Look will occur on November 28th. Join me now, November 8th, excuse me. Join me now with more, of course, making it official, I guess, for Atlanta City Council member and uh, for a brief moment, Georgia Congressman Kwanzaa Hall. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Rose. And good afternoon. How are you doing? That's a question for you.
3: How are you doing?
2: And what I'm you, doing well. I'm so excited. And what, what you doing? What you doing and why?
3: That's an you unorthodox know, question from a journalist. What that, you doing a and why? Question.
2: That's fair. That's fair. I mean, you know, I come from a family and my life has been dedicated to service from my mother, who was very active in civil rights, my father, who was on Dr. King's staff, um, my service on the school board, city council, and most recently completing Congressman Lewis's term in Congress. Service is what I do. And I have a legacy of leadership in my life. And I'm running to make sure that everybody in Georgia can enjoy affordable health care, affordable housing, a good education for our children, equal and just treatment under the law, honest elections that count everyone's vote, and a fair shot at prosperity through good paying jobs and opportunities for entrepreneurship.
3: And you feel the way to do this is if you are elected as Lieutenant Governor
2: of Georgia? Absolutely. Absolutely. My experience has taught me that you get things done, and I have a long track record for actually delivering on on hard work in government. And you don't necessarily get all the kudos and credit or even try to take it, but delivering for our citizens. And I've worked across the aisle, and this it's very contentious in our country and in our state and in the world. But the stuff happening in Russia, uh, the challenges and strife we have as far as cold, which was in my school board district, we've got to figure a way to get people more on the same page so we can deliver for those who continue to be left out and left behind. What? It's really about relationships and about working across the aisle to make things happen but we know who's been most disenfranchised.
3: Well you you're right about that but let's talk about this whole notion of working across the aisle and of course the bipartisan spirit that some people in, in embrace and others don't. You know and you just mentioned whether it's at the federal level or here in Georgia and in Georgia state Georgia's general assembly is controlled by the Republicans. What evidence do you have that you can be the bridge to bring these to bring these two parties together when it comes to certain measures, when it comes to certain issues and topics which they clearly disagree on? Why are you that person? Well,
2: well, remember, Lieutenant Governor is the leader of the Senate. sure, And leadership requires being able to have cultural sensitivity, the ability to actually listen and not just decide where people's positions are. And to, to, to break down barriers that divide us, my legislative experience on three different levels, school board, city council, and at Congress, taught me the importance of building consensus. I Working with difficult council members, difficult presidents of council, mayors, congresspeople, all of that requires consensus building. And they can be on the same party, same neighborhood and disagree. Sure. So it's the same challenges, you know, at every level of government. But it's about having that will and having the ability to actually break down those disconnects. Give an example when you did that.
3: Can you give an example when you did that, where you brought everybody together and you broke down the tension and something was
2: achieved? Great question. So, you know, I represented the core of of Atlanta, which is the central business district, it's heavily Republican, fiscal conservative nature tough on crime, but I also represented the Boulevard Corridor, which is the area with the greatest concentration of poverty in the Mm -hmm. Southeastern United States, very similar to Forest Cove. And we also had the Civil Rights District, the Auburn Avenue, King District. And I had to balance between those three and technically the very far left uh, in Inman Park and other parts of Ponce Highlands. So bringing everyone together around a shared vision is what I've demonstrated. Even getting neighborhoods to receive the relatively right-leaning Republican developers, and to come to an accord where both groups agree, it's often difficult to do. But if you can get people on the same page, you can create that shared vision, uh, you can you know, give a little, everyone has to compromise, no one wins everything, and, and the track record is there. And I can point out many other examples of where we've done this. But one thing that I know for sure is leadership requires that you also can be led and you gotta be willing to listen. Uh, to other sides and not just assume that you know where they're really coming from it if that means going to a person's neighborhood their town their home and really hearing what their points are because oftentimes we decide what we hear in the news and that doesn't get us anywhere
3: well you you would be but you're talking about now in a a different you're talking about the general assembly and let's let's just say governor kemp is reelected. you know uh, clearly, there are some differences with you as a Democrat and in your in your party with some of the measures and things he's has done or not done.
2: How would you propose working through that? Well, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people not Governor Kemp, but he has done some good things around economic development. And I've worked, for instance, when we were passing criminal justice reform in the state of Atlanta, justice reform across many measures. The Koch Brothers and Coke Industries stepped up through UPS and Georgia Pacific and helped to fund some of the legislative and legal work, working with ACLU. And so it was a bipartisan strategy to address justice reform. And we were able to decriminalize uh, possession of marijuana. We would do the same thing uh, through my leadership as lieutenant governor. I wouldn't have direct control, mm-hmm. but the pulpit of that position is predicated on one having great relationships. We've seen Republican mm-hmm. lieutenant governors who couldn't muster up the relationship building to be able to actually get as many things done as they might have thought of. And we've definitely seen it with Democrats and we've seen it in a lot of ways. So it's really a position that that requires great relationships. And, you know, I, I stayed in the hotel in Washington with many mm-hmm. uh, of the Trump protesters for 30 days. They were there and we we had dinner, lunch, spoke to each other. But on that, you mean the Denver, folks that stormed the Capitol, you had dinner with absolutely. them? Absolutely. Really? And I could not believe that I was seeing that before my eyes. You know, it just so happened that I was coming in a little late to that that particular day. Did you know so they, to, they were going to gonna storm me. the Capitol? I had no idea and I could not believe it. And that is the kind of stuff that we've got to have a better connection with people. We know mental illness is rampant in our country and in the world. That's a whole nother thing that's been under addressed. Uh, the psychosis of COVID that's impacting people. The, the rhetoric that is being thrown out there by our leaders or not being responsible, whether it be Putin, whether it be our former president, that's, that's not responsible leadership. And let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. One, why'd you wait so late to get into the race? Well, I mean, I've had some other things I had to work on. I've been doing business. And, you know, long campaigns don't necessarily generate um, a winning scenario for many people. So I believe that this is quite the right time, actually. I, if I could have had a couple more weeks, that would have been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But it's ninety days out, and who wants to run a uh, one-year campaign? And we've seen a lot. Well, of, if you, you want know, to get
3: well, one would argue if you want to get some money, you you run a long, a year-long well,
2: campaign. Let me ask
3: you this, uh, Kwanzaa Hall, because you you talked about your successes and your achievements. Are you mi- a, a willing to admit maybe some some failures or some things that you hoped that you would have gotten done in the past, that maybe people might hold you accountable for, and that now you want to sort of talk about that and, and talk about how it will be different. I'll give an example because I covered it, and I think it's a fair question. The situation with Peachtree Pine Homeless Shelter.
2: You, yes. you said you were going to fix that situation, and you didn't. Well, it depends on how you define fixing it, first of all. You know, I had, as a council member, I had 50% of the homeless individuals in the city of Atlanta were in Council District 2. Mm-hmm. And there are another 11 council districts. So just think about that number, number one. And then of course we have the hotels and all the tourism and all the the, uh, interstates and the hospitals, they're all right in the core of the city and it's easy access on MARTA. So people congregate there. And then also the nonprofits and churches that also like to feed in the parks, everyone congregates in this part of the city. Peachtree and Pine, you know, it was a, a measure that required not, and it started well before I got elected. But it was a measure that required not only council members, but, you know, the mayors of various um, set times and business community and philanthropic community and civic and um, our our faith-based leaders to try to come together with what we thought would be the best solution. Mm -hmm. Now, COVID has caused an even greater challenge. And I think we've got to develop a a greater social Social safety net. One, mental illness is not being addressed. Substance abuse is not being addressed. People are being criminalized for possession of less than a, an ounce of marijuana. And they're going to jail and they're losing their whole lives. People are growing up in poverty. So we've got some ailments that we're not addressing that are creating these problems around homelessness. Is that families, something that you children. would
3: hope that if you are elected lieutenant governor, that that is something that you would personally want to push in the General Assembly? Absolutely. That More of a statewide approach? Although it's different for rural populations and urban populations, you're saying that's something that you would want to push within the
2: legislature? Absolutely. And, you know, not only is it that, but also coupling mental illness deeply into this local um, based community and economic development throughout the state. is something we need to do in a non-displacement strategy, because there have been communities that are in, you know, in Atlanta, in suburban Atlanta, in the exurbs in the outer tier in rural Georgia that all have been left behind.
3: Yeah, and communities in your old district, so.
2: Yes, and so we we can't leave any place behind. Prosperity is coming to Georgia, but it should be prosperity for all. All right. And that's why I'm running for lieutenant governor. All
3: right, well, you done said it. Jumping in the Democratic primary for Georgia's lieutenant governor, former Atlanta City Council member, and for a brief moment, Georgia Congressman Kwanzaa Hall. As always, I appreciate you taking the time
2: Thank you so much, Rose. Thank you, WABE.
3: Take care.
0: Bye. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. And Close Look Continues Now,
3: here on 90.1 WABE. Amplifying Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. I know I've said it a lot of times. It's been more than a year since COVID 19 vaccines were made widely available in the U.S., and a substantial number of Americans, well, they still haven't received their shots. Now in Georgia, About 55% of residents are fully vaccinated, according to the State Department of Public Health. Nationwide, that figure is just under 65%, and that's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, our good friends and folks at the CDC Foundation have been working to increase vaccination coverage, in part by working with local arts organizations like Atlanta Improv Theater, Dad's Garage. The group's artistic director, Tim Stadelberg, recently told WABE City Lights the combination of improv and public health isn't as wacky as it might seem.
5: We're going to use comedy and improv to create an environment where people can come in, have some laughs because it's been a very stressful two years and get some information about the vaccinations. And hopefully from that, they'll become supporters of the vaccination and can set up an appointment to to get their shots. So we're real excited to be able to offer people some laughter, some comedy and, and some really tough times and also provide some public health safety for them.
3: Well, joining me to discuss all of this is Dr. Judy Monroe, President and CEO of the CDC Foundation. She's been on this program many times. Dr. Monroe, as always, thanks for taking the time. Good to see you.
1: So good to see you and be with you today.
3: You know, yesterday on the program, we had a roundtable of doctors and I began that conversation asking them to just talk about, you know, here we are right now, two years, two full years into the pandemic, asking them to assess through their lens how do you sum all this up where we are now, two years into this, two full years?
1: Yeah, Well, no doubt people are tired. Uh, we're all tired of the, of the pandemic, uh, but this is a pandemic and history has taught us that uh, it comes in waves. Uh, these new novel viruses uh, take time uh, to become endemic from uh, the pandemic epidemic to, to endemic. Um, and, and we all need to hang in there and we need to use our tools like uh, vaccines uh, and use them wisely.
3: So for listeners who may not be familiar, what's the relationship of the CDC Foundation and the CDC? There's some history here, too, behind it.
1: Uh, There is. Uh, So the CDC Foundation, we're an independent nonprofit created by Congress to support CDC. Uh, Really, the history behind that dates back to four CDC directors that, you know, public-private partnerships would really serve CDC and, and help advance their mission when you're trying to do big things like a pandemic. It takes all of us. Um, and so that's why we were created. And it's a privilege to support CDC and the public health field.
3: Well, let me ask you, since all this says uh, we've been in the pandemic, all this began, has it been hard to focus on other areas? Because COVID-19 has probably been at the top of the list for you all.
1: It has definitely been at the top of the list. Uh, it's certainly taken the lion's share of my time. But we Uh, On the front end of this, we had designed the CDC Foundation uh, to have an emergency response unit, and those of us working on the emergency have stayed very focused on that. And then we have teams that are working on our programmatic work to try to keep all the chronic disease and uh, other infectious diseases and environmental issues uh, at the forefront. So we've, we've kept pace with both.
3: There's now a movement among some health officials to move away from using the word phrasing of you know, vaccine hesitancy to more of vaccine acceptance because they think it has a a better sort of
1: it's less stinging. Uh, Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. Actually, I like that. I think I think words matter and how we use our language and how we express ourselves really does matter in terms of folks having confidence. And uh, so I like that. What's the origin?
3: What's the origin story behind you all? getting involved with, you know, arts and culture organizations. I mean, earlier you all shelled out some some big bucks to grantees, to 30 arts organizations around the country to boost vaccine confidence. Who came up, and you can go ahead and pat yourself on the shoulder if you came up with it, Dr. Monroe, but who's that person that said, you know what we need to do? Let's get some improv there, involved. There are, there
1: are teams, there are, there are really creative teams behind all of this, uh, including, uh, you know, CDC and the, the experts at CDC that have seen uh, the need to, to explain and communicate differently. Um, our team at the foundation, we've really enjoyed working with community-based organizations and to be able to move into this working arts and cultural organizations is just a thrill for us. I've, I've always personally been a big fan of of what uh, either film or music, uh, the visual arts, they they really matter in our culture and, and how we view the world. Here in Atlanta,
3: you all are funding, uh, some funding is going to Out of Hand Theater and Dad's Garage, and we checked in with the folks at Dad's Garage as they continue to plan their programming, which they hope to get underway soon. Now, Artistic Director Tim Stadelberg told City Lights earlier this year that the group plans to feature public health experts talking about vaccines in their shows. Take a listen.
5: So the expert is there to provide that information for folks to maybe help them understand some of their concerns about it. So that'll be good. And then, so they'll have a chance to talk and share, and then we're going to use sort of their information to improvise scenes based off that we're not reenacting what they're talking about. We're sort of taking themes and ideas and exploring those and, you know, comedic and, and improv scenes
3: Now, Dr. Monroe, you are an artistic person. Why can't we just have you on stage and just do some improv talking about this? Could you do well, it? I'd be happy
1: to. I, absolutely. I'd, I'd I can work on it. you
3: with the narrative. I, th- I think I'm kind of humorous a little bit. We, we
1: could do it, uh, Rose. I think we got a show. We could do uh, something. But no, <laughs> I love Dad's Garage. Uh, it's one of my favorites here in Atlanta. And uh, the, the expertise they bring with the improv and bringing the humor, uh, bringing all this to life and to be able to help the audience see Vaccines in a different light than than what the scientists can do is super important.
3: Something else that we talked about on yesterday's program with our our doctors, they all talked about that perhaps through their lens, that the even the rollout with the vaccines could have been uh, done in a different way um, in terms of getting people to understand the importance of it. And because there was so so much misinformation out there. Do you agree with that?
1: No, I do. I think looking back, we're going to have a lot of lessons learned. There's no question about it. And I think the community engagement is just so vital. Folks need to hear from trusted sources, right? They they need to hear from folks that they are familiar with, that they know. Um, and uh, there, there could have been a, a better rollout, uh, but uh, there was a lot of effort. Uh, underway as well so
3: if you're just joining us i'm in conversation with dr judy monroe president and ceo of the cdc foundation we're talking about the organization's work to increase vaccine uptake through the arts and other public health initiatives so how do you all gauge the effectiveness of this i mean you just started so what metrics do you have in place that you all will use to assess hey this worked and you know maybe we could come back to this or this did not work and we're not doing this again
1: yeah, so the the good news is that uh, you know, we can track uh, the vaccines uh, that are the uptake of vaccines. Uh, we'll be able to get feedback from folks that are in the audience uh, to see how did this help change opinion or not. And we're, we're funding 30 organizations across the country. So mm-hmm. we've got those here in Georgia, but then we have those across the country. So there'll be quite an evaluation that will take place.
3: And what did you all want to hear from the organizations in terms of their plans or did you just say look we'll give you we'll give you the funding and you come back to us or did you want to hear something up front before you all granted them the funding
1: it was a competitive process so they had to present the proposals to us and tell us what their ideas were and our selection was was wide-ranging all the way from visual arts uh, art that'll be on the streets or you know on buildings those types of things uh, to theater to, to voice uh, to youth uh uh, artists, uh, so we're we're quite excited. It's going to be a, a wonderful uh, experiment.
3: So there there could be a poetry slam about the importance of getting the vaccination. There could be absolutely, Ooh. absolutely. I, I I I I see it now. The rap, yeah. You you gonna rap? Rappers. What'd you say, Doctor Monroe? You gonna rap? We we could we could do that as well. You you would rap?
1: I might need some coaching on that. <laughs>
3: Let me ask you this, because what does this outreach uh, work look like as the pandemic continues? Because we seem to be approaching a point where it appears potentially a lot calmer with the coronavirus, but you never know because this is a virus that, you know, things can change. But what does this outreach look like going forward? Do you all want to maybe just do this till the end of the year or wait and see what happens in six months? What?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is obviously evolving. Um, and so we will continue our outreach. Um we have uh, community-based organizations we're working with. Uh, we'll continue to fund uh, you know, for several months going into the future, and then we'll just have to see what happens next, um, whether we have to ramp up again. Um, honestly, I think we need to be thinking about uh, other issues like climate change that mm-hmm. uh, is pervasive. And I think the things that we've built and relationships we will serve us well uh, as we try to take on, um, the the efforts that everybody can do to help uh, combat things like climate change. Well,
3: and something else that that you all are focusing on, which is the current and future public health workforce in the US, Um, how do you assess that? And and what, a lot of folks left the industry and we can understand that. Uh, How do you think, what are some of the best practices and approaches potentially to lure folks in and then maybe to get those folks back and then to retain folks?
1: Yeah, no, it's a terrific question. And we're uh, actively working with CDC and with our partners across the the nation on workforce. We've actually hired at the CDC Foundation over 3,000 staff, uh, all the way from data analysts to epidemiologists, to communicators, public health law. Um, and so we're seeing that as one of the pipelines, kind of a bridge to the future of public health. Uh, but we do need to inspire our Uh, college students and graduate students to consider uh, careers in public health. And then looking to the future of public health, public health has been Mm -hmm. under-resourced across this nation. So we need to look hard at salaries, the the salary range, um, and the support that folks that come into public health get. We also need to have new skills uh you know we've got new ways to uh collect data and the analytics that that are involved with that um uh, communication as we mentioned we need new skills in communication so i our our view is that it can be a it is an exciting uh it's, it's an exciting field
3: and you all have global initiatives obviously as well have you been able to restart those i know you for some you had to take a little pause and shift and because of the pandemic, like everybody else, but are you able to get back into swing of things with some of these other initiatives? And if so, what are they?
1: Yeah, we are getting back into the swing of our, our global work. Um, you know, some of the things, uh, there are other infectious diseases like tuberculosis uh, that we've been working in uh, Vietnam and other countries to try to uh, control. And so we're ramping that back up. Uh, tuberculosis is a major health risk around the world. Um, malaria, uh, is as uh, an example, uh, lymphatic filariasis is <laughs> a tropical disease that hmm. uh, we've been trying to eradicate in American Samoa. Uh, so those are some examples, and then chronic disease, heart disease, still the number one killer uh, around around the world. Um, so we have we're doing both uh, our global and our domestic work uh, in those areas.
3: Dr. Mumro, as we wrap up, you've been doing this type of work for a very long time. Obviously, you're, you're passionate about it. It's what you want to do. Uh, you mentioned some lessons learned here through all of this. What has been the lessons you've learned personally through all of this, and in terms of leadership as well?
1: Yeah, well, thanks for that. I, you know, I think humility is the. <laughs> it comes to mind. Um, I, I have been humbled by working with the team at the CDC Foundation and and with CDC and watching everybody be so diligent and so committed. Uh, as a leader, to see the the effect that you can have at recognizing that that credit goes to the team. It's, it's amazing.
3: Should we go ahead and announce that you and I will be doing a two actor theater production here in Atlanta?
1: I am all in. I think we can announce it. And uh, I think it'll be a sellout.
3: (laughs) Cause now, you know, we have to do it, right? Right. I'll be, I'll be the doctor. And then you'd be like the person I'm trying to convince of the vaccine acceptance. We'll I roles. love
1: it. I love it. Let's do it.
3: <laughs> Dr. Judy Monroe is president and CEO of the CDC Foundation. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good conversation. Let us know how things are progressing. Thank you. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. It's been said so many times the pandemic has disrupted well the pandemic the pandemic has disrupted Business as usual for just about all businesses. And while some are thriving because of a shift in consumer habits, others have struggled and have closed their doors for good, sadly. In 2021, tax prep company H&R Block surveyed surveyed nearly 3,000 small business owners to understand how they were faring amid the ongoing global health crisis. Now, here's what we found. 53% of black business owners reported that their revenues had dropped by at least half compared to just 37% of their white counterparts. But even before the pandemic, we know, research suggests black business owners face numerous challenges growing their businesses and gaining access to what else? Capital and other resources. Well, in an effort to close some of those gaps, Atlanta email marketing company MailChimp recently launched Bloom Season. It's a new digital guide meant to help entrepreneurs of color. Here's a clip talking about Bloom Season.
0: We as entrepreneurs continue to rewrite the playbook for business. Against all odds, we innovate. We conceive and we achieve. We need space that's ours to learn, to build, to bloom together. Welcome to Bloom Season.
3: I like that, Bloom Season. Joining me now to talk more about Bloom Season is Michael Mitchell. He's the Senior Director of Brand and Studio at MailChimp. That's a wonderful title. I can't wait to find out more. And Aaron Fender, a featured contributor to Bloom Season and the co-founder and CEO of Portrait Coffee, located in Atlanta's West End. Michael and Aaron, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking time. I really appreciate it.
6: Thank you, Rose. Excited you. to be here.
3: So much to Thank talk. you so much for having us. Uh, absolutely. So much to talk about. But Aaron, I'm going to start with you. Throughout all this, how has your business, how are you all doing over there at Portrait Coffee?
4: Uh, Like you uh, might have mentioned earlier, it's been a huge pivot for us. We signed a lease about a week before the pandemic hit, and we quickly had to go from a business plan of being a physical brick-and-mortar store to uh, leveraging e-commerce and becoming a, a digital brand. And so it was a roller coaster.
3: And I know... Through all your research and preparation for owning Portrait Coffee, that nowhere were it was written. Do this when a pandemic hits.
4: <laughs> You're absolutely right. There was no uh, there is no cheat codes, no guidebook to uh, <laughs> being stuck inside your house for months at a time and having no clue what tomorrow holds. Um, but we leaned into something we call digital hospitality here at Portrait Coffee. So we went from doing in-person events and pop-ups to where we were able to gather as a community and we no longer had that. And so as a team, we discussed what does it look like to meet people where they're at, mm-hmm. which was their home.
3: And before I move over to Michael, Aaron, what did you learn that you didn't know because of the pandemic that now that has helped you in, in being a business owner?
4: so, so much. But I think uh, some of the one of the main takeaways is just how authentic you can be digitally and connecting with folks. Uh, so how can, we, we had to spend so much time looking and understanding how can we meet people where we're at. Uh, so whether that was email or Instagram live or learning how to build e-commerce website, these are all takeaways we had to do in order to survive through the pandemic.
3: I want to go over now to Michael. I gave a brief brief description of Bloom Season during my introduction. Take our listeners further for that. How it all came about?
6: Yes, yeah, so uh, Bloom Season is a digital resource, digital magazine for entrepreneurs of color that uh, was eighteen months in the making in the summer of twenty twenty, amidst all the protests. The team at Mailchimp really wanted to figure out how we could authentically participate in that conversation in more ways than just an advertisement and some sometimes in order to do something meaningful it takes a while so 18 months later we finally went live with bloom season which uh 25 or so plus articles featuring 50 plus black entrepreneurs in all stages of their journey providing um actionable practical guidance, not only for how to scale and grow your business, but how to manage the mental health and wellness issues that entrepreneurs face.
3: Mike, I want to back up for a moment and and hopefully you can answer this. What did you all hear from your small business owners over at MailChimp uh, as the pandemic was obviously ongoing? Did they reach out? Did they want to? I'm just curious in general, did folks want more information or want more resources
6: yeah i think of of course with the curveball of the pandemic there was a great opportunity for us to provide value to our 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 customers in in new and in interesting ways and particularly help them transition their business online and become more um digitally first minded but specifically to black entrepreneurs our research discovered that they face three key challenges that they shared with us, which Mm -hmm. um, they feel isolated because there are few communities of entrepreneurs of color for them to be a part of. They feel alienated from the communities that do exist because often they are um, filled with people who may not have their same lived experience. And those Mm -hmm. two things combined lead to a level of mistrust for um, resources that are out, out there. So we wanted to make sure we uh, address those three things by providing um, real representation in the work that we created. We made sure that every writer, photographer, everyone who helped make Bloom Season was from the c- community as as well. So it's a real for us bias project, uh, and so that that can help defeat the isolation, alienation, and mistrust challenges that we discovered.
3: What was the process in selecting the entrepreneurs to include in this in the first phase of this effort? but it was pretty challenging in a it, good way.
6: It was a mixed, it was a mixture of, of challenging, but also really inspiring to mm-hmm. uh, dis- discover and uh, bring to, to light the range of folks that we have in here. So we, we wanted everyone to be able to see themselves in here. So we have folks like, like Aaron who runs a c- c- coffee shop. We have someone who runs a barber shop, a, a bookstore. We also have uh, Baratunde Thurston is in here, who is a major name activist. Mm -hmm. Jewel Burke Solomon, who is uh, one of few female Black VC fund founders offering insight on how to raise capital. Mm -hmm. So we wanted a broad range of insight, a broad range of people so that you could find your way in and see yourself represented inside Bloom Season.
3: Aaron, I want to bring you back into the conversation, because everything that Michael just talked about in terms of how this was creating a space, for business owners of color and and obviously be able to talk about and to maybe even learn from one another has that been the case here with this with your involvement in bloom season
4: oh absolutely i there's parts of the project that i was unable to see until it fully went live but uh, first of all it was so encouraging to see all of these black founders and all the incredible work they're doing and really get the deep dive of their wins and their takeaways during the pandemic um, I would say most notably, um, I actually worked with Burke Solomon with Google for Startups as well, and Dr. Key Hamilton. So uh, they had an article where they went deep on um, the pros and cons of raising capital and the challenges that black founders face and just how much a dollar and the interest around it matters. And so, especially with portrait, um, that's been a, a pain point for us. And that, that was a specific example of. Uh, to some of the benefits of reading through Bloom Season.
3: If you're just joining us, I'm in conversation with Aaron Fender. He's a featured contributor for Bloom Season and the co-founder and CEO of Portrait Coffee. And I'm also joined by Michael Mitchell, the senior director of brand and studio at Atlanta email marketing company MailChimp because they're behind it. And it's a new digital guide for entrepreneurs of color. Now, I got to ask you, Aaron, what's the best-selling coffee over there at Portrait Coffee? What you got that I might like? (laughs)
4: i love i love the plug well uh, our best-selling coffee is tony it is a uh, fair trade single origin coffee Uh, we we work with finca tarito alma coffee out of canaan georgia that we direct trade with them they bring in the coffee from honduras but um it is like dark chocolate uh walnuts just just savory and smoothie to the soul so uh, that's one that we really enjoy. We also have another one called Stacy. It's uh, from Columbia. And it's it's in honor of Stacy Abrams. Uh, that is just like a really round, beautiful cup of coffee.
3: Did you say Tony was sultry to the soul? Is that what you said? Yeah, uh, I did. That's like I me. Did. I'm sultry to the soul. You could have named that the yes. rose. <laughs>
4: you know what yeah we might have to do that <laughs> we might have to
0: talk after this <laughs>
3: uh michael let me ask you this uh, when you hear this the joy in aaron's voice and talking about what bloom season has, has meant to him as an entrepreneur and a business owner of color does that put in perspective kind of at the core of what you are we're going for
6: 100 it's 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 really um i, I feel grateful that um everyone who's been a part of this um was able to to see themselves fully represented and find a nugget of of truth to help them grow their business sometimes it takes uh it's 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 hard to be what you can't see sometimes Mm -hmm. and so this was a real goal of uh, of ours to um make sure there was full representation in this for anyone at any point in their business journey
3: and what would you say have been some of the reoccurring or a reoccurring theme or thread with all of these entrepreneurs of color? I can imagine it could be financing, but what else?
6: Yeah, I, I think capital and financing is definitely huge. Uh, but I, we, we wanted to make sure that we were speaking to every aspect of someone's personal journey as an entrepreneur so especially focusing on the mental health and wellness aspects of that we have a full article around um the importance of therapy for entrepreneurs of of color specifically um and we just wanted to make sure that the business aspect was covered but There's a whole lot of support that people of color and entrepreneurs of color specifically need to help them uh, achieve their goals. And we didn't want to leave any stone unturned.
3: Well, is this the end? This is not the end. This is the first sort of season of bloom season. Can we expect another group to come online
6: here? Yeah, so um, at, at Mailchimp, we're really invested in raising the voices of historically excluded groups. So this is the inaugural edition focused on Black entrepreneurs. And in the future, we hope to raise the voices of other historically excluded groups, including LGBTQ, uh, female entrepreneurs. We would love to do a issue in another language, in Spanish, for example. So there's more to come in the future.
3: And what's the feedback response been like so far from the community at large?
6: It's been extremely positive. Yeah, we've been really, really happy with the response and people asking for more already. So the 18 months that it took to make this, we need to get get on our grind again to, to turn out another one even faster.
3: Uh, and Aaron, have we seen the profits dramatically increase because of being involved in bloom season? <laughs>
4: <laughs> the price went up. <laughs> oh, look. As they say. <clears throat> no, yeah, we, uh, we did. It, it's you know, and, and I want to thank Michael and the team at, at MailChimp, because generally, um, over the past couple of years, we have had some awesome press opportunities, but it was so awesome to see the care they took in telling our story from everything from the photographer to the author of the article to the design. To, I mean, just black excellence is really what I saw bloom season is, and it, it, it really reflected the values of portrait. And and that's what warmed my heart so much to see how well done it was. Well,
3: let me ask you this, Aaron, someone listening, if they were to say, well, Aaron, I would like to know if you just had two or three, or maybe even just your top little gold nugget about being an entrepreneur, not even if you're just thinking about it, you just have a concept right now. Some listener has a concept right now. What would you say to them?
4: Number one ask questions like if you have an idea ask questions um people are so much more willing to share than you'd ever realize so uh be courageous ask questions then the other thing is uh my co-founder marcus hollinger says this often but experiment and iterate often so if try something if it doesn't work it's all right take a note of what didn't work about it and, and try again um you can do 10 small things quickly in the matter of time you can do one big project. So try and fail often.
3: Michael, what about you? A gold nugget you want to leave with a listener, our listeners? Yeah.
6: To, yeah. To build off of um, what Aaron said, uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. Make sure you continue to, to iterate and, and, and grow and uh, make sure you take care of, of yourself and your own well-being, the, your, your own health is a reflection of your business health and so if, if both are if both are running in the right direction uh, you know, you'll be doing all right.
3: And Michael working listeners go to find out more information about Bloom season and then of course I'm already getting an email when does the next installment come out? <laughs>
6: the next installment is is TVD but but stay tuned and people can visit bloomseason.com season spelled szn bloom B-L-O-O-M-S-Z-N.com.
3: And Aaron, is, is the rose coffee going to be on the menu to, by the end of the day?
6: <laughs> well, yeah, by the end of the day, I promise
4: we'll have a conversation.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't want you to change up. I mean, you know, it could just be a special for, you know, a weekend special, or the rose latte or something like that. You know, just,
4: you know what? I'm committing right here on air. You got it. Rose latte.
3: Boy, I'm having a great day. I'm having a great day. I'm going to be on theater, doing improv, talking about vaccine acceptance. Now I got a coffee. I appreciate that.
4: This is a big day for you. Congratulations.
3: (laughs) I know. I'm I'm batting a thousand. Aaron Fender, a featured contributor for Bloom Season and the co-founder and CEO of Portrait Coffee. And Michael Mitchell, the senior director of brand and studio at Atlanta's email marketing company, MailChimp. We've been talking about Bloom season, Bloom Season, MailChimp's MailChimp's new digital guide for entrepreneurs of color. Aaron and Michael, thank you so much for taking the time. Aaron, continued success. I really mean it.
4: Thank you.
1: Thank you.
3: And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our senior producer is Sam Whitehead. Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Rezell are our producers. And our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder, Monday starts our Paycheck to Paycheck series where we're talking about pretty much anything and everything that relates to how we all are making it, for some of us, paycheck to paycheck. So a reminder to head to wabe.org slash paycheck, take a very quick survey and find out how your household could possibly be a part of the ongoing series. Or if you want to suggest a topic, you can do it right there. Also, another reminder, let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.
0: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air.
1: We bring you in depth, long form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics, WABE and NPR have the coverage you need.